The musician plucking the strings of this ancient Chinese instrument is a 16-year-old migrant girl from Sichuan. Young Li Ping came to join her parents in this scruffy migrant neighborhood on the edge of Shanghai just after the Sichuan earthquake of 2008. She learned to play the guzheng here at a community center for migrant kids. She says Shanghai is better than her hometown. It's more developed, and there's more scope for self-improvement. Yang would like to stay in Shanghai. She'd like to keep playing the guzheng and go to senior high school here, where the teachers are good. So she's likely to do better on the all-important college entrance exam. But none of this is an option for Yang or for millions of other migrant kids like her. Ah, we went to junior high to go back home. Yang says she has to go back to her hometown in Sichuan next year. That's because of China's household registration system, or HUCO. Migrant kids have to take the college entrance exam where they have their HUCO, even if they've lived in another place since they were babies. All kinds of social services are linked to the HUCO. For much of the past half century, the HUCO system enforced a kind of economic apartheid, keeping farmers on the farm while the relatively small number of workers in the cities. Tasked with helping China industrialize, could get the free education, healthcare, pensions, subsidized food, and other benefits. The farmers didn't. Then it all started to change, says Wu Zhang, a former Shanghai vice director for urban planning. In the past twenty years, the hukou system in China become more and more flexible. For instance, twenty years ago, you cannot move, but now you know we we can accept all the people. If you can find a job here, if you can find a place to live. So now Shanghai has about 10 or 11 million migrant workers without urban hukos. The problem is how to let this part of the population share the public service. It's a problem all over China. Local governments welcome cheap migrant labor to build roads and bridges and luxury housing, but then the same governments complain that they can't afford to provide social services to all these migrants. China's new leaders say, in the long run, they can't afford not to. China wants to boost domestic consumption as an engine of economic growth, but migrants won't spend much on consumer goods if they're not covered on social services. Premier Li Keqiang spoke at a news conference at the end of the National People's Congress in March. Urbanization will unleash enormous consumption and investment demand, and create many job opportunities. More directly, it will help to enrich farmers and benefit the whole nation. Former farmer Dong Hulong is waiting to be enriched. He and his wife Chen Ying are sifting through debris from a clothing factory for recycling: cardboard here, plastic there, cloth in another pile. They make about $400 a month, a whole lot more than they made on their soybean and potato farm in Anhui. But they're under no illusion that they're living the Shanghai dream. Yes, I wish there's a change. I want to have a Shanghai hukou so that we can be treated as the same as the Shanghainese. And if we have to go back to our hometown, we won't get used to the life there anymore because we have been in Shanghai for 15 years. The couple's six-year-old daughter goes to this school for migrant kids. Dong says the teachers there aren't as good as in regular Chinese schools. Their two older kids had to go back to their village in Anhui to finish high school. The parents hope the hukou system will change by the time their youngest is in high school, so she can stay here. They live on the fringes of Shanghai in a shabby migrant shanty town. 
Some 260 million migrants live like this in China's cities, in the city, but not really of it. Former city planner Wu Zhang says if China really wants to encourage more people to move to the cities and spend more money there, it's high time to rethink the hukou system, or better yet, get rid of it. Wu is now vice president of Shanghai's Tongji University, which used to have quotas loading almost half the student body with Shanghai residents. Now, he says, 80 percent of Tongji's students come from outside Shanghai, bringing in better students, more competition, and a swirl of fresh ideas. So that gave us a lot of the cultural diversity. So the students here, as well as the faculty, are much more active and innovative. Who would like to see the hukou policy at least relaxed so migrant kids can stay in Shanghai for senior high school and have a better chance of reaching their highest potential, which in turn benefits the urban economy? Not so fast, says a Shanghai native named Qian. He's a 30-year-old father of three, the second and third were twins, and he's been protesting online against proposed legislation that would allow migrant kids to stay in Shanghai and take their college entrance exams here. He says it would make life harder for his kids. In fact, it's already harder, he says. His daughter's kindergarten class is supposed to have no more than 25 kids, but they have 35 because migrant kids here are now eligible for public school education through ninth grade. Public transportation is crowded with migrants, too, and hospitals. And why should his kids have to compete with newcomers down the line when his parents and grandparents helped build Shanghai into what it is today? Qian says reforms are needed, sure, but it's impossible for everyone to get benefits immediately, right? Maybe these migrants' interests are hurt, but there will be more people enjoying the benefits in the future. That's how it goes. That's how it used to go, but the equation has changed, says Tom Miller, author of the book China's Urban Billion. For the last 20 years or so, this has made economic sense. Basically, it made sense for China to urbanize on the cheap. You could treat migrant workers as economic cannon fodder. That's beginning to change now, partly because of rising labor costs. And I think socially, this is potentially a time bomb. I think if these people who want to become full-time permanent urban citizens suddenly realize that the rules of the game are permanently stacked against them, China potentially has a big social problem and a big political problem on its hands. Shanghai has gotten that message. Besides the risks of instability, Shanghai's official residents are having less than one child per couple. Its base of consumers will start to shrink if at least some migrants aren't empowered to stay and spend. So Shanghai has started dividing migrant workers into classes. The ones who are the most educated or talented get the Shanghai hukou. The slightly less talented might get a hukou after seven years of paying into the social security system. And the ordinary schmoes who build the buildings and clean the apartments and sweep the streets, they'll have to wait longer. Of course, some farmers got lucky. They didn't have to come to the city and wait for a hukou. The city came to them. This thoroughly urban neighborhood was once the village where farmer Li Jinqi was born 68 years ago. He's written a series of memoirs about life in the village. As a village kid, he saw the Communist Party come to power. As a teenager, he became a barefoot doctor, then worked as an accountant for a collective farming unit. Then Mao Zedong died and economic reforms began. The city expanded and swallowed Li's village. 
He was given an urban hookah and an apartment in a building where his family's house used to be. Not a bad life, he says. Lee says urban residents have it much better than farmers. We get pensions, we have all kinds of welfare, and we don't have to work so hard. His one concern is that crime in the area has gone up. New migrants moving in, he says. I ask if he thinks it's time to end the hukou system so other farmers who want to become urban residents can enjoy the social services he does now. Of course not, he says. The hukou system is necessary. Without it, the country couldn't control its population. Every country should give each person a hukou and control their movement, otherwise there'd be chaos. I tell him that most countries don't, in fact, control the movement of their citizens. He's surprised. I suggest that it's a relic of an era in China's communist rule that perhaps no longer fits modern times. He disagrees. He says, we Chinese used to live in a feudal society where the emperor himself decided everything. That was barely more than 100 years ago. In China, there is always regulation. In a family, the oldest one regulates. In a production team, the team leader regulates. In a village, the village chief regulates. We've been doing it this way for thousands of years. Everyone needs limits. But for a 16-year-old migrant girl with a flair for music and great expectations, there's no reason to be held back. She and millions more of her generation expect better. And China's new leaders know that China's future and the party's depend on delivering it. For The World, I'm Mary Kay Magstad in Shanghai.